G'day, you're listening to The Virtual Staff Room and this is episode 21, Teaching Tech. If you're a teacher who already uses technology in what you do in the classroom, then I probably don't need to explain to you why it's a good thing. But there's probably a whole lot of teachers out there in the real world of schools who don't really get that, who either see it as a chore that they have to do uh, some sort of technology into what they're already doing in their classroom, or who maybe they get it but they're really not sure how to go about it or how to develop it further, or, or really they're not really sure exactly what they're supposed to be doing. So there's a growing number of teachers who are starting to move into ICT integration type roles and their job is simply to work in schools to help those teachers get technology and help them integrate it into the stuff they're doing with kids in the classroom. Um, I'm in the fortunate position of starting at a new school this year where that is actually my role and I'm really looking forward to it. But in this podcast, I thought it'd be really cool to get together and talk to a couple of other teachers who are working in a similar role and have done some amazing things in that role with their staff and with their kids. And so in this episode, I'm joined by Kim Cofino from Bangkok and Susan Cedro from Singapore, both teaching in international schools in those two cities and both charged with the job of helping their teachers integrate technology into regular classroom practice. And these guys, uh, if you're a regular blogger, you probably can't help but know these two names. Um, If you're not, then these are two people who I thoroughly recommend you get to know a little bit and find out what they do because they're really good at what they do and they've got some great stories to tell. So I uh, take great pleasure in sharing this interview with you with Kim and Susan about all the wonderful things they're doing with their teachers and their kids in the role of ICT integration in schools. Well, today I'm talking with two wonderful educators who uh, happen to be teaching in Asia. We've got uh, on one end of the line here over in Bangkok, Thailand, we've got Kim Cofino. Hi, Kim. Hi, Chris. And on the other end of the line, we've got Susan Cedro from Singapore. Hi, Susan. Hello. And uh, I've invited you to to get together for a chat tonight for um, talking about this idea of ICT integration because that's what we all do, uh, at least us three, is to try and uh, go into schools and um, bring other teachers up to speed. That's pretty much what we do, isn't it? Yeah, in a nutshell. Sounds about right to me. Yeah. So I might just start, just Kim, if you can just give us a little uh, heads up on who you are and what you do and and just give us uh, a bit of a picture on... um, on what you're all about? Sure. Um, I'm teaching at the International School Bangkok, and my official position title is a 21st Century Literacy Specialist. That's a great And my title. role is to... I know, I love it. I say it all the time because it's so <laughs> cool. <laughs> um, my role is to kind of bridge the gap between technology and the library. And so I do a lot of the kind of traditional technology facilitator stuff, but I'm kind of based out of the library, so I have that literacy kind of background and standing with our elementary staff. And basically, I co-plan and co-teach projects with our core subject teachers that authentically embed technology. Excellent. Yeah, that's the key word, isn't it, authentically? It's such a yes. perfect model. I know Doug Johnson's been blogging just about that type of model, about how tech integration, literacy integration, all those things fit together. I think you folks have done it right. Yeah, yeah it sounds it's like It's so it. natural. Um, Kim, is that um, K-12, to K-6? to What's the year group on that? 
The school is K to 12, but I teach, I work with K to 5. Okay. And has that always been your background in the K, the littler kids? No, I've worked for middle school technology facilitation for the last um, seven years. I started at Munich International School in Germany, where I was for five years. And then I went to Montiara International School in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia for two years, which happens to be how I actually know Susan, because we both worked at that school in KL. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, Susan, what about you? Who, who are you? What do you do? And tell us about you. <laughs> Well, I'm the international. I'm at the Singapore American School, and I'm the intermediate school's tech coordinator. We're a large school, so there are four tech coordinators, one for each division. My division itself is grades three through five, which is approximately ages eight through eleven. But that's nine hundred kids just with those ages, so it's a good sized school even just at that. Yeah, yeah. I'm originally, I'm from Minnesota, and I was, like Kim said, in Malaysia, where that was my first tech job. I was a tech integration specialist there. Yeah, cool. And Kim, you're obviously from the U.S. as well. Whereabouts? I'm from Connecticut. Right. Okay. Cool. Well, um, I uh, am starting a new job tomorrow, and my new title is ICT Integrator. And <laughs> I guess, um, you know, that's that's what I need to be getting my head further around over the next uh, 12 months or so is how do we go into classrooms and help teachers take ICT and integrate it into what they do and again Kim you said that word authentically and I think that's a really important part of the process so um, I thought perhaps you know we might start off by talking about you know what how do you see tech integration like how do you know when it's been successful what does it look like Um, how do you go about doing it and like what are your thoughts about this whole notion of ICT integration so um, perhaps, uh, well, Kim, back to you. Yes. Okay. Um, I guess I think I know when it's happening properly, when I see the kids are really engaged, the teacher is really engaged, and they're all working together towards a common goal that uses technology as a tool, just like anything else in their classroom, like a pencil or a piece of paper. Um, and I think, oh gosh, I forget. Ask me some of those questions again. Sorry. <laughs> what does it look like when it's working well? And I guess you've kind of answered that, you know, like it's, would seamless be a word you'd be looking for? Absolutely, seamless, definitely. And just when I think that kids feel independent, they can kind of proceed at their own pace. Everybody knows what they're doing. The classroom is active, um, but they are kind of on the same path going towards this end goal that's been clearly defined for them so that they can kind of build their own understanding and create something new in that seamlessly integrated way that you're talking about. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Do you find, I, I don't know about you, but I'm finding with a lot of teachers that I've worked with in the past, I don't know what this new school will be like, um, you don't have to be terribly tech savvy before suddenly they think you're the super geek. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, are you finding that? You're finding that the average skill level of teachers when it comes to technology is relatively basic and I don't want to sort of diss on people here but um, do you know what I'm trying to say there? Well I think there's been a big shift don't you? Technology used to mean word and PowerPoint or email Yeah, yeah. and I think the three of us have seen a shift and we're not saying that when we're talking tech integration. What would you say Kim? I agree. I think that's a big difference for teachers is also, not just uh, knowing the tools, but using them in their personal or professional lives yeah. is a big difference between being able to talk about blogging and doing it with your class and being a blogger. I'm sure you guys have both seen that post by Jeff Utech the other day, the one about uh, the questions to be asked at an interview. 
Have you yes. both seen that post? I thought that was a pretty powerful list of statements, and I'll, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. But, you know, Jeff came up with that list of questions that he'd like to see asked at interviews for new positions. Um, and there was a whole lot of really interesting questions there about where teachers see themselves in terms of their own professional development with technology and how they're integrating it with, um, with kids. Um, do you guys have any thoughts on, on that post and what, what you've taken away from that? I think it's becoming tougher and tougher to find teachers that are interested in engaging with these tools on that kind of professional level, that building your professional knowledge base and building that network, just because I think teachers aren't really sure where things are going. I've had a couple of teachers ask me, well, where, where is technology going? What is the future going to look like? Why are we doing this? And I know people that have been teaching for quite a while kind of see this as another new fad that's coming through and eventually it's going to pass us by, so why should I bother spending my time worrying about it now? Yeah, is, are you still it's finding that Not that, that I agree with that, though? obviously. Pardon? Are you still finding that people are taking that attitude? Yeah, I think definitely. Me, yeah. I think it's hard <laughs> for those of us who are in Twitter and doing things like that. We're actually such a small network. Yeah. It seems huge oh, and people tiny. are joining yeah. it all the time. But I walk out of my office and most people have no clue what it is. Yeah. And I have to keep reminding myself of that. We're not normal, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> Yeah, that's really so true. So true, Susan. So what, what, what then, like what, what are the biggest hurdles then? Like for an average teacher, someone who's gone through teacher's college, they've learnt how to teach, they've learnt their subject content, they go into a classroom and now they're getting told uh, you need to integrate technology. What are the hurdles for those people? You know, I'm tired of the immigrant native <laughs> whole concept, but I do think that there's a huge differentiation of hurdles. Some don't like technology. They're not comfortable with it, not interested in it. Although one of those self-proclaimed people asked me for an IWB last week. I just about (laughs) fell over. And for some teachers, they just don't know what's out there. Our middle school coordinator, Patrick Green, offered an informational session on Web 2.0, not as a how to use it with your kids, more of just as a here's how to know what some of the things your students are using on their own time. There was no pressure on the teachers in it, but some of the teachers left horribly intimidated. One said, I have young children, and I have no clue about this. They're going to be teenagers before I know it, and I'm never going to catch up. And that was just an informational session. Some of the others see no value that outweighs the challenges of access. You know, they've seen a lot of things come down the pike, and they're not going to jump on this. They need to be convinced it's really a staying thing. Others are just... They're convinced it needs to be integral, and what, it's what they want to be doing in the classroom. And those folks tell me, I don't have enough access, I don't have enough time, and I need time with you. So I think all of that ties in together. Yeah. Susan, I think you summed it up so nicely. And I think even for that teacher that's kind of at the much more willing end and really excited about it, I think a big hurdle for them is the classroom management and knowing how to deal with having you know laptops and technology in the classroom. It's a whole different environment. It's so much more student-directed, and that's something that I think once you've gotten past all that hurdles about it's a fad, it's just passing us by, or it's too difficult to set up, once you've gone past all that, then there's the actual practical implementation and learning how to work with students with technology. It's almost a whole different way of teaching for a lot of people. Yeah, but you know what? I wish I could pick parts of my job that I didn't like and just say, well, you know, I just just choose not to do that. I I choose not to do playground duty in the rain. Um, You know, I choose not to mark because that's too time-consuming. It'd be really nice if you could pick and choose which which bits you wanted to do. It's really interesting how technology always falls into that pick and choose. It is, yeah. That's it. 
Don't you think, though, that most of them lack the really big picture of why it's essential for our students? I mean, I can't remember who said it in the last year. I read it in a couple of blogs. We need to quit integrating. It needs to now just be integral. Yeah. And my folks who went to the Shanghai conference, Learning 2.0 conference, get that. They came away blown away with the, oh, my goodness, we are so irrelevant. We've got to change what we're doing. But most very, very few people see that. Like Kim and I were talking the other day about baby-stepping ourselves into obsolescence. <laughs> and, and, and that's really the idea, isn't it? Like our, I remember an argument that floated through... Um, teaching circles here in Australia quite a while back where you know we were teaching computing studies as a subject and you know people were saying there really oughtn't be a subject for computer studies because it should be so integrated into everything else that it ought to be irrelevant and and that's slowly starting to happen we I don't know what it's like there but here in Australia we're getting lots lots less kids now choosing to do computing type subjects because quite frankly frankly they're getting so much of it in their other subjects which I guess is a good no, that's thing that's good that's I good think to that's hear. Great. Yeah, well, it's good for all. It's good except for everyone except the computer teachers who are suddenly finding <laughs> themselves harder and harder to get a job now. But it's definitely happening. See, back in Minnesota, when I was teaching, there, the job doesn't really exist. Most of the computer labs are staffed by a part-time aide who doesn't have a teaching background. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, so the gap is huge. Is there is there any sort of mandated? Um, necessity to, in- to integrate technology or is this just something some schools are saying, gee, we should do this? And the reason in I the ask state- that is because here in Australia or in New South Wales, in the state that I live in here, um, uh, about four or five, six years ago, it was actually mandated with a list of computer skills that were, we were told these have to be integrated into your subjects. Now, they're still not very Web 2.0. They're still, you know, pretty basic Word, PowerPoint, Excel type stuff, but at least it was mandated and at least teachers sort of said, okay, we have to do this. Is that happening all over the world? I don't know that there are even basic tech competencies statewide in my state, but the U.S. is so very committed to having individuals, districts and schools make decisions. I know No Child Left Behind is an attempt to change that, but what would you say from where you are from, Kim? Oh, my gosh. I've never actually taught in the U.S., so I don't really know. <laughs> and I can I can definitely say that there's no standardization among international schools. I mean, every international school has their own way of dealing with it. So it's not like the international school circuit is above and beyond or moving farther ahead. It's each school for themselves. That's interesting. Because I'll just, I'll just, in a nutshell, I'll tell you what we did in Australia a couple of years ago. They, The government... Um, came up with a list of computer skills that they felt were important right across the board. And there was spreadsheets, database, word process, presentations, um, internet, email, uh, online safety, netiquette, all those sorts of things. And a, a, a syllabus was basically created with a list of competencies that had to be met and every school was told, okay, you've got whatever it is, two years or three years, to make sure that these things are embedded into all your different um, syllabuses for different subject areas. And what most schools did was they said, okay, well, like, let's take the obvious ones, uh, the maths department, okay, you guys can handle spreadsheets and science, you guys can do presentations, and English, you guys can do word processing. And, and the different skill sets were basically sort of farmed out and cross-referenced across all the subject areas so that everybody covered everything by the time they got to the end. What a good system. 
Uh, well, Sounds very thorough. Yeah, well, if you ask people, a lot of people weren't too happy about it. And I don't know how well it's still being done, but it was an attempt, I suppose. And it got things rolling. I, I bet. Probably... I bet it... Yeah, sorry. Susan, go ahead, go Susan. Sorry. Oh no, that's all. I just I think it got things rolling. At least it got a discussion started. It didn't let it just be handed off to a librarian, and that was their sole domain kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting. And in I fact... think some inter- international. Sorry. Sorry. No, go, Kim. <laughs> I was just going to say I think some international schools might take that same approach take the IST standards or whatever standards they want to adopt and then farm them out to the different subject areas, but it would just be on a school-by-school basis, not a governmental countrywide ruling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I've got to tell you, this new school that I start at tomorrow, um, I was stunned when I went for the first meeting there with the guy that I'm replacing because he showed me a few things that they're doing there. Um, they've got uh, a list of IT skills listed on their Moodle server um, where they've got all these things that teachers are just expected to be able to do, like connect a notebook computer to a data projector or to use a, uh, a lectern in the, in the um, um, media theatre or to, to connect a digital camera or to add a narration to a PowerPoint. I'm just looking at the list in front of me. And this is like a minimum skill set. And it's like there'll be... Um, uh, a series of training sessions in all these minimum skill sets over the course of a year and you're expected to attend and you don't have to attend, that's fine, but if you can't do it and you haven't attended a training session, then kind of, you know, there'll be a please explain, which I thought was interesting. We're, we're trying to move that way. I'll be interested to hear from you how well it works. Yeah, me too, me too. I guess I'll have to make it work. <laughs> We've been having a big discussion among the tech coordinators of we just their school just wrote a five year plan, they've got a new vision. It's a nice set of documents and tools they've put set up for themselves. And technology was in it. And at that time the basic teacher competencies list got pulled out and kicked around again. And it was very interesting because the leadership team very much wanted to keep it. And the tech coordinators we were very much fighting against it saying it's supposed to be a minimum but it's become a maximum. Right. And the coordinator, the curriculum director, the PD person was saying, well, you know, we can put some money towards it. And we said, we don't want to put a lot of money towards that. We want to put it higher. We were willing to fill in with the folks who don't have the basics. But if we don't shoot higher, I don't think we'll ever get there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So what, what strategies have you found actually work well? Like, what do you do in your schools? Do you run daytime classes for teachers? Do you do it as an ad hoc thing where people just, like, learn just in time what they need? Or how have you structured the training that you offer to your teachers that you're working with? I'm struggling with that, so I'm going to let Kim start this one because she does it so well. Okay. Uh, we do lots of different things here at ISD. Um, one of the things that I found to work really well in the past that I'm trying to institute here is um, small groups of teachers who are really willing to change their classroom practice because it involves really changing your whole classroom and kind of mentoring that group um, as a support group and going through the year setting some expectations for them, and then the next year they would mentor another group and I would mentor another group and we would build and build, and that's just one level. Um, Another level is we offer weekly professional development sessions, walk-in, for all teachers of all grade levels, and we do them uh, twice a week. One session is kind of a walk-in, get help on anything you need. If you want to learn how to take a photo with your digital camera, upload it to your computer, and then email it out to someone, even if it's totally personal, we'll help you with anything. Yeah. And I another think, session is kind or, of... blog or Twitter or something on that the other day? I think I read that the other day. Yes. 
I link to it. Ah, okay. That's a great idea. It's nice because teachers don't feel like they're interrupting anything and they know that we're there for that period of time and they can come in and ask us anything. So that's a fixed fabulous. session. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. It's got a bit of lag there. No, go ahead. Um, is that a fixed session you've got every week? So it's like in the same time slot every week? Yes, every Monday. Justin, Dennis, and I, all three of us, are in the same room for an hour and a half to two hours. Now, do you do that before school, after school, during school? How do you do that? We do that after school because our school day finishes at 2, and then the teachers are required to stay until 3. So we have that kind of hour of prep time that makes sense. I ran something like that in Malaysia, and I loved it. It really worked. Teachers, like Kim said, didn't feel they were interrupting, and they knew they could count on it. I haven't been able to get it rolling here. There's so many other initiatives that teachers can barely freeze, barely breathe, much less stop in for tech support. It's interesting because we used to have sessions where we were teaching certain topics. Like we would say this Monday is podcasting, um, this next week is something else. And teachers found that really intimidating, and they were worried when they missed it. So they were all stressed out about, oh, but I missed the session this week. I'm, I'm losing knowledge. And when we shifted it over to something that was more open, I got a lot of feedback from people saying, this is so helpful because now I can just come in and know that I can get help with whatever I need, and I'm not missing something else. Yeah. How many well, people would you have turned up to those things? Um, about 25, I would say. Really? What, on a regular basis? We've only just started, so the last session we had about 25 people, and then on Wednesday we offer another session called Wired Wednesdays, and that's kind of the whys of why we're doing all this 21st century literacy, what does it mean, why is it important, and that's when we had that Future of Learning in a Networked World unconference last Wednesday, and we had about 25 people there too. So we'll see as it progresses if it grows or or shrinks. I hope it doesn't shrink. (laughs) Kim, is it largely the same people, or do you get an interesting mix from week to week? It's interesting because Justin, Dennis, and I all work with individuals on a daily basis. So that was kind of two tiers of our professional development, that mentor group and then these after-school professional development things that we do. And then the third thing we do is work with teachers on an individual basis, just in time, based on projects that they want to do with their kids or maybe themselves professionally. So I'll go and make an appointment with a teacher and teach her how to set up her own classroom blog, show her why it's important, um, go through the initial stages with her class. Maybe I'll even go in and co-teach with her and give her project ideas of how she can use it. And a lot of those people will come to the walk-in sessions because they've already gotten interested in how this all works and they have their own specific questions. But then we also get people that we don't normally see on a regular basis because maybe they only have one very small question. And like you said, Susan, they don't want to bother us during the day, but they know they just kind of need to get this question answered and they know we're going to be there and they'll just kind of run in and, and get the help they need. Right, right. Nice. I got, I got Kim, I would love to see it. Sorry, Susan. If I can, in the, in the program notes, I'd love to get a link to Kim's blog post where she talks about her using the the. UBD design system along with the middle years program design system because she's so good at putting the learning first and matching the technology to it. I think it's so tempting these days with Web 2.0 tools so interesting that a lot of people grab them and start it and the learning's kind of secondary. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Thanks, Susan. Yep, I'll send that link out. That's good. I, I, two questions raised up in my mind then. One is... Um, when you have 25 people turn up and you said there are three of you running the session, what happens when you get a really diverse collection of questions that you can't be all working with at the same time? How do you, how do you work with that? And the other question I was going to have was, 
um, what sort of breakup is there between what people want to know professionally and what people want to know personally? Well, there's a big group, and you can't help everybody at once. People are generally patient. I mean, sometimes they might come back um, in a little while when they know that we'll be free, or they just work on something until we're ready. And I think right. a lot of the time when you're doing something with technology, you can show somebody something and let them do it for 10 minutes and then walk away and help the other person. So it's just a matter of managing time. Right. And then what was the other question again? Um, just about personal versus private, oh, like personal versus professional, I mean. Right. I think mostly I've gotten professional questions, actually. But right. that just but might be something about my personality. They come to me with the professional questions <laughs> and they come to somebody else with the personal. Yeah. <laughs> I found back way back when, when we first started getting computers in our schools in Minnesota, I found that the personal learning was the hook. A lot yep, of people yep, really weren't interested until they had a child go off to college and then click. That's what all of a sudden they were at my door saying, um, how do I open this photo they just sent me? Can I send one back? How do I do that? And that was the door, the hook in the door. Yeah, that's exactly what I, I that's why I asked the question because um, I've, I've run lots of sessions for lots of things at my last school and um, by far the ones that were best attended were things like, you know, how do I get songs from iTunes to my iPod or, or you know, <laughs> how do I get my, my holiday snaps off my digital camera, that sort of thing. In an interesting contrast, though, I've just started running weekly sessions for our classroom aides because they've been asking for it, and I found a time slot and teacher permission that I could make it happen, and they've just been great, and they want to learn everything. Anything I want to teach, they want to come to. So it's a very different model I'm finding as I set it up than when I'm working with staff. That's good. Now, uh, I'm assuming that along the way, as you go through these these sort of tutorial training-type workshops with staff, which sounds like you're both doing that, um, that you're also encouraging teachers to start their own personal learning network and, and to start getting into that lifelong th- learning mode for themselves? Absolutely. That's a tough one. Is it tough because you find resistance to it, Susan? It's tough because people can't even conceive of it. Yeah. They feel like, oh my goodness, I've already got too many emails. I can't imagine voluntarily putting myself somewhere where I've got more coming at me. Oh, I know. And I've been struggling with how do I help them see what they're going to get back from it. Because I can't guarantee they will. I started joining Twitter back in April. And because most people I knew then were in North America, so they weren't on when I was on, I ended up just kind of feeling like a voyeur until (laughs) I got some other people in my network figured it out. If they were to join and have that experience, it would not be useful. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I remember ages ago, or years ago, you know, like encouraging some teachers to join a mailing list, uh, just a, an educational mailing list. And the, the next day I was getting, how do I get off this thing? I've gotten four emails today. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I don't think I can cope you know, with I've the been volume. Of, <laughs> I've been thinking about that the last couple of weeks or so because one of, um, actually Susan and my, we both had the same colleague, Jabiz Rizdana, um, he just started his own professional blog, Intrepid Teacher, and I'm just so I'm impressed so and um, proud of him that he finally took it from just this classroom. He was doing great, absolutely fantastic things in this classroom with blogging and Web 2.0, but he finally took it to the next step, that professional level. And I think it takes time for people to understand how it works with their curriculum, which oftentimes is the most important thing for them. Well, how can I do this in my teaching? To then realize that they can make that next leap and develop the, themselves professionally. And I was just saying to Jabiz that I think if I get one person like that a year, I'm going to be totally happy. 
and you know what? I reckon that would be a good number to aim for. I don't think... Well, I, I know you're not going to get everybody jumping on that bandwagon. <laughs> and I reckon if you can get one or two people a year, um, you're probably doing well. Because it does take a lot of time. I'm not going to lie when I tell... I can sit for three hours and write a blog post. Yep. Other people can write it in 15 minutes, but it takes me that much time. Yep. So not everybody wants to do that. I had a friend call me the other day about something, you know, they were, they were going for a tech... They're going for a job where they're expected to have tech skills, and so you know, I got a phone call asking what sort of things, you know, a bit of a bit of advice on that. And you know, as much as they appreciate the fact that technology is important and they need to upskill and they need to know certain things, and this person's actually pretty good with all this, but they said, "Look, I just don't have time for this. I spent seventy hours a week preparing just normal lessons. Where do I find the time to do all this other stuff?" And I guess that's a pretty valid. Um, comment because teaching is such a busy profession at least it is where I work and I assume it is where you work you know Chris that makes me think of you're saying what strategies help teachers one of them is that you have to take something off their plate if you put something on it like one of the good tech integrations we had earlier this year was a teacher came to me and said you know I really just don't like book reviews. My students hate them. I hate scoring them. It's just not working. Well, we switched her to doing them in VoiceThread. The kids were enthralled. Kids who were doing very low-quality work were re-recording it and re-recording it till they had it sounding just right. (laughs) It really met the need, and it wasn't another thing. It was a different thing. Yeah, yeah. That's a good point. That is one of the hardest things for teachers to understand is that we're not doing this in addition to something else. This becomes... Your assessment or your formative assessment, this is what you do in your classroom. You don't do both. Yep. Yeah, good point. And it is hard to get people to understand that. So what have you what the other question I guess is what strategies don't work? (laughs) Guilt. (laughs) What what models have you used in the past to try and get teachers to sort of get up to speed with technology and you look back and you go, That was a total waste of time. (laughs) I think top down initiatives that really don't have the support, that someone high up says, you're going to do this, but they don't provide time or money. Oh, my goodness, what a setup. Yeah. Yeah, I think I agree, Susan. So that's a tough one. If top-down doesn't work and you can't always get bottom-up to to take hold, does it then – how do you avoid the hit-and-miss nature of that then? I think the issue with top-down is if you don't build the infrastructure to do it properly. I think it can work as long as you give them the support and the time and the training and the co-teaching and all that kind of stuff that they need. But if you just tell them you have to do it and then provide no support, well, that's just going to be another initiative that goes down the drain. You know, what and it does worse than go down the drain because it changes people's perceptions. Now they've done that. Yeah. and it, yeah. I did that. It didn't work. So, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's the problem. But uh, you said something before about how this is more than just the technology. This is actually a pedagogical change in approach to how education ought to work. And it happens yeah. mm-hmm. to, I think, be fueled by technology in a lot of cases. And technology happens to be a really good enabler of the, the mm-hmm. what let's just call it a 21st century learning style. Um, but, I mean, I... When I started at a, one particular school, I st- went in with a survey because I thought, okay, I want to find out where people are at with their technology skills and so I know what I'm working with. And so there was all these questions on, you know, different 
skill sets and different things you should be able to do and you'd rank yourself from um, like down the bottom of the scale was uh, I, I don't know what that means all the way up to I do this regularly and I help other people learn how to do it as well and just for fun I threw a little question in there um, I use constructivism in constructivism in my teaching and it was something like 97% of the staff said I don't know what constructivism means oh my and Ow. I just thought wow like no wonder they don't get how technology can integrate with what they're doing because if you don't have a constructivist sort of underpinning to what you do, <laughs> it must be incredibly frustrating because none of it, it doesn't fit that other model. And I think not that's why sometimes it's so hard to be that support person because now you're not only kind of helping them figure out how to use technology, but you're also kind of telling them how to be a teacher. Yeah, yeah, and that's a whole exactly. different line. <laughs> exactly. And that's a really good point. It is the job becomes so much more than just showing them where the menu is in Word. That's right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so tell us about some of the success stories. What sort of things have you guys done that have, or, or examples of work that you know, teachers have done in classrooms with kids that have, you know, been, you look back and go, wow, that was great. Do that again. Kim? I had a... Sure, do you want me to ahead. start? Okay. Oh, no, go, Susan. Go ahead. I was just say one, I had a... Last year's my first year in this position, so I've still been trying to figure out all the channels to do that successfully. But I had one teacher I collaborated with last year, Jenny Redlin, who was a very constructivist teacher, and that's just about how she thought about her curriculum. And so she'd come to me and say, okay, here's what I want to do. How do we do this? And she didn't usually have any tech in mind. She just knew what she wanted her kids to be able to know and do, and we would find the best tool. And we had such a fun year. Everything from they get a little bit of spreadsheets because they were working with ledgers in their classroom because they had a bank to every big science social studies unit, she'd bring the parents in for some sort of end event. And one of the times, they, they were the first group in the whole school to do podcasting because they each researched an animal and recorded their bit of the podcast. And then they brought in a bunch of iPods and parents came in like you do at big museum exhibits and went piece to piece and listened to the piece about that particular animal. Nice. And it was just beautiful watching it, but it was so key because it didn't start with the tech. It never did. Yeah, yeah. That's Go ahead, Kim. That's You've got so, so awesome, much going Susan. on. Susan. That's fantastic. <laughs> um, okay, I can tell you a little bit about what's happening at ISB. Um, I think I've been really fortunate to come into a school where the teachers are so professional and really want to do what's right. So I kind of show up and suggest an idea, and they all just kind of run with it. So I think I'm really fortunate. Yeah, so that's nice. I'm not taking all the credit for this. This is the teachers. Um, but we've had a great time at the beginning of this year doing Chris Craft Life Round Here project with the fifth graders. Yep. And they all um, took the concept of, I think he was talking about what life is like around here, given the title. And we took the concept of adaptation, which was our unit, and had kids tell the stories of how they adapted to life in Thailand. And at the beginning of the unit, I'm not sure the classroom teachers knew where we were going. I'm not sure they really had a vision of what the final product would look like. They were just willing to run with it. And when we got to the end and we saw the deep thinking and the reflection that the kids did with these videos, they, you could see their eyes were like, this is the kind of work I want to do. And for me, that was really successful because going from not understanding anything to grasping on and, and taking and running with it was really exciting for me. Yeah, yeah, that's neat. Well, Nick, like you blogged about recently, you've now got a group who are with you. Next year you can do more, and they're going to bring more teachers with because they believe in it. Exactly. Start small. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Start small, start simple. Make sure the kids are going to do the learning and not just you. Yeah, that's exactly. great what you say, Kim, about the fact that you've working, you're working at a school where teachers actually are already on the wavelength and they, you know, they want what you're offering. I'm, it's I'm, really, I, I'm very fortunate. Yeah. That's- I'm finding too often is that um, I'll find teachers that want to do something because they're keen and because they, you know, they know they have to and, and, and you know, they're willing to give it a go. But then we'll sit down and we'll strategize about something and we'll come up with a plan and then it kind of vanishes into the ether in the sense that I don't get, you know, I don't really get asked to come back and work with that class. It's kind of like, okay, you give me an idea, now I'll go away and do it and I'll just show you the finished result at the end. And generally the finished result isn't that great because they didn't really ask for much help along the way, which can be very frustrating. That's hard again, too, because now what are you saying? You can't do it by yourself. You want to go in there and co-teach with yeah. them when they think they can do it by themselves. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. Do you do much co-teaching? All the time. Yeah. And how do you find that, Kirsty? I spend most of my day. Um, I think it's really good for most teachers. I think they appreciate it because they're maybe not yet comfortable with the tools or the classroom management or the concept of the project, and they want someone in there to kind of be there, almost their security blanket. And I'm totally fine with that because if they see how a project works with successful classroom management, there's a much better chance that they can kind of model their next project on that successful experience. Yeah, yeah. Someone once explained to me that a a great model for teaching anything is that, um, you know, if there's two people, one's teaching the other how to do something, it's I do, then I do with you, then you do with me, and then you do. You know, so exactly. you hold someone's hand and yes. get them to do it themselves and then they do it without you and then finally they do it on their own. Because it's scary the first time you do something like that. And so many times the first projects teachers are doing with technology is just having all the kids sit in the classroom type on Microsoft Word. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you're talking about you know making a digital video or using VoiceThread or using social networking or podcasting or all these other tools. And that's a completely different experience. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. We talk about Web 2 tools a lot, but, I mean, I'm presuming there is still a lot of uses for just general technology skills in a classroom. Or are you finding that you're pretty much concentrating on Web 2 stuff now? Well, I'm finding that my school, that the children coming in as second or third graders to my division can often meet the fifth grade exit outcomes. Yeah. We are just chomping at the bit to move up to richer, more meaningful outcomes at my, in my division. And our whole, actually our whole program, K-12, is very ready to change its tech outcomes. So, yeah, they're doing a lot of that. It's been very well integrated. But in some ways it frustrates me because it tends to be so low level. And because of lack of access, I have teachers who do all the writing in the classroom then just come in and type the final copy. It looks nice, but they lost all the power of actually doing the writing on the computer with the ease of revision and that type of thing. Yeah. Um, Kim, you were going to add something into that before? I was just going to say those kind of traditional skills, I try to embed them into the whatever project that we're doing that might involve the more futuristic tools or the Web 2.0 tools so that they get all of it when they need it so yeah. that it helps them remember. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you, what you said before about, you know, it's, it's hard to get someone to, you know, jump onto something like digital video or you know, voice threading or that type of thing when they still think adding a picture to PowerPoint is a pretty cool thing to do. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, I um, I, I, you've given me tons of ideas. I'm looking forward to going to work tomorrow now. 
good. <laughs> Congratulations on that new job. Yeah, yes, thanks. Congratulations. Uh, thanks, yeah. I'm really excited about it. I'm, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it. It's a nice school and they seem to be pretty switched on to, uh, to what they want. They just want someone to help them get there, which is nice. That's a great position to be in. That's a great way to walk in. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, unless you guys have anything, I guess, further to add, I guess we've probably covered most of what we wanted to talk about. Sounds good. It's been a pleasure to talk yeah, to both of you. Yeah, for me. Yeah, yeah. It's yes, been great too. to talk Thanks, to you guys, guys too. You guys are somewhat legendary in the blogosphere, and it's, uh, it's great to catch up with you in person, so to speak. Thanks, Chris. Hasn't, hasn't this whole blogosphere thing become quite the environment? It really, for those outside of it, it's really hard to get it. And I, think you said, <laughs> I think you're right. I mean, you said before that, you know, once when you're in it, it seems so obvious and such an obvious way to, to sort of do things. And when you're outside of it, you can't get it. My son got one of those books for Christmas with the, uh, you know, the magic eye things, the, the sort of pictures that you have to stare at them for a couple of minutes before you see the 3D oh, yeah. image pop up. And it's a little bit like that. Once you can do that 3D magic eye stuff, then you can always do it. You can't imagine not being able to do it. But... And that's yes. a perfect analogy for me because I can't do those. So I'll have to keep remembering those when I'm batting my head against the wall with someone. Well, I, I thought as I, I was sitting there today looking at this book and, and it took me about 10 minutes to get the first one and eventually I went, oh, okay. And then eventually you get to a point where you can just glance at the page and bang, there it is. And you see the image. You just figure out how it works. And I kind of thought, oh, there's an analogy. You know, it's like, it's like teachers who look at all this tech stuff and they can't see any point in doing it. But, of course, once you actually get it, then it seems so obvious. And that's part of having now, to do it for yourself professionally, right? Like until you do it for yourself, yeah. it's not so meaningful. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know about you folks, each when you started blogging, but for me, back when I started I started blogging for the reflection and because I needed to learn how to do it so I could do it with kids. And I was astonished to find a community within it. Yeah. Whereas nowadays, I think when people come to it, the community is there and mm-hmm. it's a slightly different view. So it, I hope it's a more welcoming environment. I didn't feel unwelcome, but I hope more quickly as people do it now, they become, they see it. They get the picture. Yeah. They learn how to squint their eyes. <laughs> That's right. And stare through the page. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, look, um, I really appreciate that you guys taking the time out to have a chat tonight. Uh, it's been wonderful. So, Kim, thanks very much for joining us. Thanks, Chris. And Susan, thank you very much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. And um, good luck in your endeavours at your schools, and um, I'll, I'll look forward to hearing more of what you do, and I'm sure I'll read about it on your blogs. Thank you. Catch you later. Good night. Bye. Bye. So there you have it, some wonderful ideas for working with teachers in, uh, in classrooms with technology and trying to meet all those skills gaps and encourage teachers to understand just how important this whole technology integration thing really is and how much it dovetails straight into this idea of 21st century education. Uh, thanks again to Kim and Susan for joining us tonight. It was a, it was a fun chat. I enjoyed that. And um, I have to get this podcast out as soon as possible because uh, it's a great one to share. Um, all the links to things that we mentioned in the episode there, you'll find that on the show notes over at www.virtualstaffroom.net. So pop over there and have a bit of a browse through those show links and uh, we'll try and include everything in there. Um, don't forget too, if you're feeling generous, there is a donate button on the website there. I'm starting to get the bills now for bandwidth and what have you. So um, if you feel like... Uh, dropping a few dollars in there with a PayPal account or something. Uh, it's always much appreciated. Of course, it's not required, but um, hey, the button's there if you're feeling generous. 
Um, that's about all we've got for this episode. Got a couple more uh, on the way, some really interesting ones as well. So um, look forward to uh, to those in your feed reader at some point. Um, the show's available through uh, iTunes, of course. Just subscribe to the show there in iTunes and have it delivered hot, tasty and fresh to your uh, iTunes account uh, as each new episode is being released. So there you have it. Uh, thanks again for joining us. www.virtualstaffroom.net. My name's been Chris Betcher, and you've been listening to The Virtual Staff Room. Is it anything in there you need me to edit out? We didn't sort of uh, divulge. I didn't slander anyone. No, you didn't slander anyone. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. I always like to just always check. Always got to watch out for that.